listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 64 of the Testudo Times Podcast, basketball season now fully in session. We remind you... Please practice the Heimlich Maneuver to help out your friends who might have been wearing Georgetown colors last night. I'm joined by a couple of people. First of all, uh, Matt Allentuck is here, as always, as he will be quite a lot during this basketball season. Matt, uh, boy, that's kind of why we never picked Georgetown in the NCAA tournament, isn't it? (laughs) That was wild. That was a lot of fun. Have you ever seen an ending quite like that? Uh, at least not in person. I feel like la- uh, last night was pretty much like what everyone wanted the North Carolina game to end like last year. Uh, I don't know if we would have survived that. Don't know about, maybe we would have, but I don't know about our comment section. It probably would have been destroyed. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful with these people. We don't want to give them the emotional roller coaster already. There's so mm. much more season left. Oh yeah, just one game, and honestly, you know, the out- the outcome of the early November game won't matter too much down in March, but it's still got to feel pretty good. Uh, I saw the locker room celebrations; it felt pretty good. Uh, Ryan is also here, and talking about emotional roller coasters, I I can't imagine a bigger emotional roller coaster right now between basketball and football. You couldn't put where people are feeling about the two sports in the same stratosphere at this point. It's amazing. Yeah, it's uh it's you can definitely see the interest waning in Maryland football. Um uh, you know, I guess you could see that for a while, but you can see it from the uh the number of media people who are attending football games versus or football events versus basketball events. It's uh it's starting to really tilt in basketball's favor, but there's there might be a few there, there should be a few highlights highlights left in this season I think. Uh, there've been a lot of lowlights, so we'll start with football uh, in this show. Long life last week where we ended with football, we're going to start with football this week, and we're going to talk about I think the news that everybody's shocked by. First of all, if you hadn't heard about the BB gun attacks on campus. Those were uh, about a week ago, and now we know who did them, and it's not a good look for anybody involved, particularly the football program. Uh, Ryan, is geez, it's again, the dichotomy of the freshman in basketball and the freshman in football. It's hard to feel any different uh, considering these two sets of players. For those who haven't heard, Lorenzo Harrison and DJ Turner, two freshmen, on uh, Maryland were uh, were charged with um, being the guys who essentially were shooting the BB guns out of the car, and uh, we haven't really heard the general the athletic department released a general statement saying you know they're helping their student athletes and taking this th- taking this thing very seriously, but it doesn't appear that Harrison or Turner will be back probably for the rest of this season. Uh, their entire status with the program is sort of in flux, I guess, at the moment. Right now, they're suspended indefinitely, and we really don't know anything else beyond that. Um, but this is a pretty – the loss of Harrison is a pretty big one for this Maryland backfield. He uh, he was their second leading rusher and I believe got the most carries of anyone on the team so far and was, I think, the biggest surprise on the team because no one necessarily knew what he was going to do. And 
he and Ty Johnson all of a sudden were clearly the team's two best running backs. Um, so, you know, that it was already going to be really hard for Maryland to beat Nebraska, and this definitely made it tougher. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, it's an absolute shame that this happened. There was another player who had a who was also suspended, a freshman linebacker. What was his name? Antoine Brooks, and Antoine Brooks was also uh, originally suspended with the rest of them, but he reportedly has been cleared and will be able to play against Nebraska if they need him. Yeah, so that is very interesting, but it is all true. And I guess this is all just, it's spiraled pretty much since that Michigan State win. It's kind of spiraled out of control a bit, sadly. And they go to Nebraska on uh, Saturday. The game's on ESPN News, so none of you are going to watch it. And I forgive you if you aren't. There are many other things you can do besides watch this Maryland football team get killed for the third straight week. Uh, really, we're going to focus a lot more on football when we get to next week, when Maryland plays Rutgers, that's a much bigger game because it will determine whether Maryland makes a bowl or not. There's a lot more in that game than uh, this one. Uh, Ryan, is there anything else you want to say about football before we go full bore on basketball? Um, sure. I mean, there's also that stuff about Harrison and Turner could end up being, you know, more news could come out before you even listen to this podcast. Who knows? But uh you know, Perry Hills is questionable once again, and once again, I'm sure we're not going to find out until the team takes its first offensive series. At this point, he shouldn't been... play. At this point, he honestly shouldn't play. Well, I mean, if he's if he's healthy, they're going to play him. Is he healthy? We we literally don't know. There's just like we don't know. And yeah. Um, the last couple times Ro- uh, Hills has gone out, we've seen Caleb Rowe come into the game. And uh, he's, you know, he's done a couple of interceptions. He's also looked good at times and clearly is able to stretch the field and operate the offense in a more sophisticated manner than Pigram is able to. Uh, so I imagine Rowe will end up, if Hills can't go, I imagine Rowe will get the start. But either way, Nebraska is going to be a incredibly tough opponent, maybe not quite as bad Maybe not. They're not quite as good as the Michigan's and Ohio State's of the world, but they're pretty much just in that second tier. They're 19th in the uh, AP poll, I believe. I forget what the college football playoff ranking was for them exactly, but uh, you know it's hard to keep track of those things every week. Um, and this is going to be another really tough defense. S&P Plus rates them as the 26th overall defense in the country, and they are a bit better at defending the past than the run, so maybe that skews in Maryland's favor. But Maryland's going to need to, especially just no matter who's under center, when Maryland runs the ball effectively, that's when they win. And, you know, they didn't do that against Michigan and Ohio State, although they really they didn't do much of anything against Michigan and Ohio State. And I think, you know, if Maryland gets the running game back on track, that's, that's the one thing that can save them this week. Um, but Save, you know, yeah. on the road in Nebraska is that's that's a tough one. Yeah, it's 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 not happening, folks. And again, it's on a channel that you don't get on campus for a reason. Anyway, let's focus on basketball because there are a lot better things to talk about. And this Georgetown game was absolutely bananas. So, Mr. Allen Tucker's been quiet for the last six minutes because he I don't want to sully him with having to talk about bad football things. So we'll only have him talk about good basketball things. Uh. Off the top, we talked that that game was pretty ridiculous. Um, 
the first two games of the season, they've been the American game was a lot closer than it needed to be, and you'll tell us why. And the Georgetown game was bananas. What is your big takeaway from the first two games? It's got to be the freshmen. Um, obviously, coming into the season, you know anything I said or really anyone said about the team was. We don't know. We don't know if they're good. We don't know if they're bad. We don't know what their ceiling is. I mean, you can't obviously know until you see the guys who haven't played before play. And obviously, you don't want to jump the gun too quickly. And you have to know that eventually, all three of those guys are going to, you know, have their fair share of struggles. That's just that's just how it's going to go. But they've started off the season. I mean, all three of them better than I think anyone expected. And maybe maybe uh, we we would have expected a better performance against American than against Georgetown, but I think all three of them outplayed their first performance in their second. Yeah, they certainly did. Um, personally, because I didn't see the American game, I only saw the Georgetown game, the most impressive of the three freshmen, and all were impressive in their moments, but the most impressive to me was Justin Jackson, and it was his versatility that got to me. You saw him inside, you saw him getting shots from the perimeter, and he, his versatility really helps his team, and a lot of the time, because of foul trouble with LG Gill and Devontae Dodd, they had to go small. And Justin Jackson ended up being one of the biggest players on the floor. And he fit that role, and he fit a role when Maryland had to go, when Maryland was bigger, when Dodd and Gill were on the floor. So, Matt, who was the most impressive against Georgetown for you? Ooh, it's, it's tough. Um, I mean, yeah, Justin was, Justin was crazy, crazy good. I mean, he led the team in points for most of the game until Melo took over. I mean, he was the only one that was consistently knocking down threes. His length was obviously just ridiculous. And, and just the rebounds he was grabbing just didn't even seem possible at the time. But um, between that, I mean, poking balls away, he was good on the offensive glass. Uh, Justin was tremendous. But it's really hard to, to not say that Anthony was the best freshman. Um, I mean, Anthony Cowan came in. Started again, played his first big game against a big team, you know, in an NBA arena. Um, he's clearly the smallest guy on the court. Doesn't seem to matter at all. I mean, he just has all the point guard skills that you want already. Uh, he's so quick. Uh, he has great vision. Uh, you know, even watching the second game, I watched the game over again a little bit this afternoon, and and just the holes he was seeing, just knowing when to attack the rim was just. He was so smart. Uh, just driving and kicking was was really quick and easy, and it's something that obviously doesn't come as naturally to Melo, and he had to work at it. But Anthony has it already. I mean, he found Justin and Kevin open for for wide open shots because he was drawing so much attention. Um, it's really a toss up. And then Kevin, I mean, listen, teams know that Kevin Hurd was a shooter already, so he was getting swarmed around the perimeter from the beginning of the game, and he only hit two shots, but he only took three because he could hardly get open, and that's something that Turgeon's going to have to work on. But um, he was also really good defensively. So they were, I mean, if I had to rank them, uh, it'd probably be Anthony Justin and Kevin, but they were all so good. What's interesting about Anthony Cowan, and now that you see it with Melo Trimble, you know, they both can do that similar drive and kick or drive and draw defenders and get to the foul line. One of my biggest problems, and it probably would have been my biggest issue had they lost, it's still a bit of an issue, uh, was that they weren't getting to the foul line very often. But with Cowan and Trimble both, knowing that they can drive to the basket and teams are going to collapse in on them, the drive and kick or the drive and draw the fouls and get to the free throw line. That is a dangerous part of the offense for Maryland. And we remember two years ago, Matt, when they got to the foul line all the time. And we could see that happening again because you got two guards that are so good at driving the lane. 
one that's been doing it for two plus years and now another who's come into college and is like, I'm not afraid. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna also say that it's something that we didn't talk about at all, even after the game, just because he didn't play too many minutes. But Jalen Branley's no joke of a third point guard. I mean, Jalen's also in the first two games showed that he's pretty much broken off of that sort of I don't even know the maybe hesitant uh, you know game that we've seen from him sometimes. Uh, I mean, he was attacking the rim just as frequently and kicking as as Anthony was, and I think he was great too. And that's really what's gonna that's gonna be the difference for Maryland. I mean, they were they froze up against American a little bit because they couldn't get any shots wide open from three, and that's gonna be a big part of their game. But when those three guys learn how to how to penetrate and then kick at the right times and draw in enough defenders, then when Turgeon surrounds the outside with guys like Mello and Justin and Dion and Kevin, and they're all gonna get open and they're all gonna hit shots, and that's pretty much how Maryland's system is gonna work because. They don't have an inside scorer. They don't have a Robert Carter. They don't have a Diamond Stone. We're still waiting to see if LG can be that, but obviously foul trouble hurt him. But that's that's what Maryland's you know game's going to be. Drive, kick, open threes. Well, we saw a little bit of that last night. It's just all of the threes went to Jared Nickens. You couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, and I will question you on one thing, Matt, and I'm going to toss this over to Ryan. Maryland did have a tiny bit of inside scoring, and it came from Ivan Bender. I was not expecting that. And he looked good, Ryan, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, even – I think it's weird. Be, like, the expectations for even Bender this year are just such a weird thing because he – you know, Turgeon said, oh, he's my most improved player. Oh, he would have started if uh, we had a game earlier or whenever. And you never – you don't necessarily know quite what to make of that because – you know, we just didn't see – we only saw Bender really play any sort of extended minutes once in a blowout game last year. We didn't really see much of him. And combine that with the fact that he fractured his wrist maybe two weeks ago and then somehow was playing two weeks after, which is still – none of us understand really what went on there. But um, I, I think he's – I mean, he's been solid. He – you can tell he's still sort of adjusting to just the speed of the game and just he's he's not the fastest guy out there, but he clearly he has some touch around the rim. I think his defense is really what's going to be able to set him apart or at least get him minutes. Uh, he's really he's pretty effective at the stand up incredibly straight and put your arms totally straight in the air so that you shouldn't be called for a foul, even though he got called for a, lot of, a couple of fouls against Georgetown because everyone did. did. But um, he, I think his defense is really what's going to set, what's going to, you know, earn him some minutes on this team. It's so fascinating because a, I mean, when you fracture your wrist, I'm assuming you're going to be out for multiple weeks, especially because this is basketball. Although I think deer antler spray for my, for my soccer friends, you know exactly what I'm referring to, but Regardless of that. Uh, Matt, what did you think of Bender? Because we, we, we saw a little bit of this last year. I wasn't expecting him to be this important this early. And it was Michael Tchaikovsky who ended up being a quote-unquote healthy scratch. So what is it with Bender that we're seeing? And can he be a little something extra inside where right now all the teams Maryland has is DeMonte Dodd and LG Gill? Yeah, well, he's got no choice. I mean – uh, there really isn't a post presence, as I, as I was saying before, and even sort of had to step up into this bigger role, and that's why I think he was rushed back. Um, I mean, he is clear, but he was he was he was pretty much rushed back. 
um, onto the court having fractured his wrist not too long ago. And he's not playing. I mean, he's not healthy. There's just no way. I mean, his, his wrist is still wrapped up, and he doesn't even really look in shape, to be completely honest. He's a pretty slow-moving guy. Uh, I don't really um, you know, know how he'd be able to defend on a stretch position. But, I mean, he was pretty solid in his minutes yesterday. He... You know, again, as Ryan said, defensively is definitely where he's going to strive best. Not a lot of points are going to come from inside. I don't really know if he has a post game. We haven't really seen it. But if he's just there to clean up around the rim and also just literally be tall and stand up straight and, and keep a guy in front of him, I mean, that's going to be useful because Maryland doesn't really have that. It's it's going to rotate between him and LG. And probably what's going to happen is Justin Jackson will probably start at that four spot. And, you know, Maryland's going to go small. I, it definitely seems that. But don't you think... I mean, I guess I'm a little surprised he played as much as he has, but the rest of Maryland's out-of-conference schedule is a bit of a joke. So, I mean, I guess you've rushed him back, but you can work a lot at some of his issues against the mainly the scrubs, and not, no offense to some of the teams that they're playing, but the Howards and the St. Mary's. and Yeah, I mean, there's no, the there's no getting around it. Maryland's playing bad teams. I mean, their non-conference schedule is bad. There's really... Uh... You know, as much as you don't want to put pressure on an early November game, and not that it should matter, but they didn't—they don't really have that many opportunities coming forward. So the Georgetown win was obviously big, but that's really it. They play what Pittsburgh potentially. I think that's Oklahoma def- State or the Power Five, and then either probably Kansas State or BC. BC is an abomination, yeah. and I, I don't mean, know how good Kansas State is, but they're evidently not great. So yeah, yeah. I mean Mar- Maryland's not going to play a ranked team until mid-January. This so. is true. But, but I'm saying, like, you can work out a lot of kinks now, and the fact that they ended up winning this game as opposed to losing yeah. it does a lot for no, confidence. Yeah. And it makes it, it easier when you get to playing these games against teams that are pretty much scrubs that you can work out a lot of kinks and you can afford to try more things now as opposed to working at more of the basics if this game went the way we expected it to until a minute left, for instance. Uh, no, this is very true. Yeah. So, Ryan, I want to get – got to get to, to Mello in these first two games. And it started in the Georgetown game. It was very interesting because I think he was, it was 22 he scored against the American. And then in this game, he started out not shooting very much. And then at the end of the game, he got confident and then started to do the Mello Trimble things. He, very, he didn't run point basically at all, and I think that helps him a lot now that he has people who can help run the point for him. Are we seeing the refinement of Mellow Trimble's role in this team in the sense that we kind of know what he is as a two-guard? He certainly seems now, at least later on in the Georgetown game, he seemed a bit freer. He didn't seem like there was as much pressure on him. And when he did have to make the shots and the foul shots at the end of the game, he did. So are we seeing the refinement of Mellow Trimble now in his junior year, sort of, so to speak? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, after two games, it's sort of still tough to say a lot of definitive things. But, um, you know, I th- I'm liking him in this off-ball role. I think he's liking it. Um, being able to play him and count at the same time is great. I think, um, you know, the thing about playing Melo at the two-guard is that, you know, he can still sort of be a ball handler and be a point guard whenever he really wants to. It feels like he needed he needs to, like, like he did down the stretch. But... Um, I think as, you know, in regards to refining his role, um, I think it's still too early to really say. Um, I, you know, with it, after the first game, I think we were all like, oh, Anthony Cowan, like that'll probably continue, but we don't know. But after two games, you can, you can say pretty 
it seems pretty obvious that Cowan and Trimble are going to be, you know, the starters. Like mm-hmm. that seems that seems pretty like a pretty solid bet. Um, yeah, but as as for the refinement of his role, I mean, I think he's certainly going to have a different role, and I think uh, it'll probably suit him a little bit better for sure. I certainly think you watch him towards the end of the game, Matt, and there's there's never feels pressure with those foul shots. He's so great at that. And he started doing the things that he did a couple years ago where he drove, got fouled, went to the line all the time. And that's the mellow trimble we kind of want to see a bit more of. And we didn't see a lot of last year for injuries or other reasons. And now it definitely seems that there just isn't as much pressure on him. I know you were watching the broadcast, but Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery were talking a lot until the end of the game when he started taking shots that he wasn't taking many shots. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, he doesn't have to anymore. This is not a team that's built, you know, for him to take all of the shots. You know what I mean? He's got other players helping him out and doing so, and he can kind of be a semi-facilitator. He can do what he has to do, but he's not doing everything all at once, right? No, yeah. I mean, I think I think yesterday pretty much showed the beauty of, of how this roster is sort of um, built when everyone's playing how they should. I mean... Yeah, it was great that Melo didn't really have to do too much. I think he only had, what, 12 points until the final, uh, you know, five minutes of the game maybe. And that's, that's exactly what you want. I mean, Melo Trimble doing too much isn't good. We saw that two years ago. Um, that eventually catches up to him. Last year, maybe he wasn't doing enough at times just because of the loaded roster. But this couldn't have worked any more perfectly. I mean, he had the game right there with him only having to do a moderate amount of work. And then when the times got tough and it, and it came to the – to the final few minutes, uh, he commanded the ball and he, he received it. I mean, he he wasn't doing as much of the ball handling before that Anthony Cowan, you know, was was doing. But then Melo, you know, stepped up, took the ball, took it straight to the rim, and and honestly, he's sort of the reason that they came back. He, well, again, it was like he realized, I guess, that okay, now's my time to put the team on my back. Now, yeah, time to it's do Melo's, what I can it's do. it's Melo's team now. It, this was never Melo's team. Fully until now. Yeah, and it, it, it's I guess it's fun for him, but even though it is his team, he doesn't have to do everything. You know, he's the unquestioned leader, etc., etc. But he doesn't have to do everything or feel like he has to do everything that you might have seen in years past. Which he wasn't. It worked. It worked yesterday, but again, yeah. uh, as the freshmen were all clicking, it, eventually, like you know, they're going to struggle, and maybe Melo does have to take over a little more. But I think yesterday showed just the perfect situation where he had to do a moderate amount of work until the end when he's mellow Trimble and he's got to hit the game-winning shots. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the, the teams that Maryland's playing, you can afford to kind of do this from now until at least when they play Michigan in early January, then Indiana. Those are the times when you're going to start to see that. So I guess now, as we start to, to look ahead a bit, uh, the next two games are against – Today, when you're listening to this, they play St. Mary's, which is a D3 school, and it's Scrubs. <laughs> Sorry. They're probably very nice, but the Scrubs. And then it's Towson a couple days later. And really for these two games, what are you looking for? Because against these kinds of opponents, it's very hard to judge, you know, what do you want to see? Who do you want to – you know, that sort of thing, Matt. But what do you want to see? I guess you want to see – some refinement in the shooting. You'd love to see Jared Nickens start to hit shots because he was taking a lot and none of them fell for him against Georgetown. But what, what really do you want to see in these games that 
you know, they're against very, very low quality opponents. Yeah, I mean, I I typed up a quick list of six things before the Georgetown game that I was really interested in seeing, you know, start to develop. And I think a couple of those you were able to check off after that game. I mean, I have down that, you know, will Justin Jackson play the four? I mean, that was that happened yesterday, and, and you know, that seemed to work. How does Cowan play against tougher competition? I think we can check that off. We've seen that now. Um, Jared Nickens' defense was another one of my points, and we saw that for the first half and not the second. I mean, consistency from him, even if he's not hitting shots, he's going to have to defend or there's no reason for him to be on the floor. So that's something to look out for. Finding ways for Kevin Herter to get open was another one of my points. And, you know, the team the team failed at that yesterday. He only got three shots up. Uh, that's something mm. that, that I'm going to look for. Um, LG Gill scoring in the post. I mean, he was in foul trouble, but I'm curious about that. Is he going to be a post option? Can he be a post option? He wasn't at Duquesne. He, you know, he he sort of told us that, and that's something he needs to work on. So we'll see that. And and Dion Wiley, uh, he hardly played in the second half against Georgetown because honestly, he was just breaking a ton of shots. So uh, you know, it's going to be important over the next you know couple of games to see if he can get more into into a basketball rhythm and, and be able to hit shots because he really hasn't done that so far. In many ways, Ryan, we complain about Maryland's terrible out-of-conference schedule, but there's the blessing in that, which is you can fix a lot of the issues that have cropped up and you can get Dion Wiley and Avon Bender a little bit healthier and back more in the swing of things. You can find ways to get Kevin Herter open. You can do a lot of these things and not feel like, oh, my God, we have to throw people into the fire against North Carolina as it happened a year ago. You can be like, oh, we can bring them along at whatever pace we need to because we're playing teams that aren't very good and we're going to beat anyway, right? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, you've you've already talked about, kind of a, about this sort of at length already on this podcast. But, you know, you – the it's a double-edged sword. The you know having a tough out-of-conference schedule because if you have a young team and you have a tough out-of-conference schedule, then yeah, maybe that could end up going poorly. Um, if you win all your non-conference games, then or you know only lose the one to Pitt, then you know you have to have a pretty solid showing in conference play, or you might not get in the tournament. But I think in terms of team development, yeah, it certainly is nice to be able to sort of experiment a bunch and try out a lot of new lineups during, and, you know, against, you know, sure they're playing a D3 team on Thursday, but, you know, generally, no matter who you're playing, if you'd be able to experiment a little bit more. But, I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, it would probably be more advantageous for Maryland to at least, you know, kick the non-conference schedule up a couple notches because, I, you know, if you play some quality teams and then lose early in the season, I feel like that's not going to come back to haunt you that much when, you know, from just a pure tournament resume standpoint and playing a playing actual good teams earlier in the season can be a nice that can, that can be a nice sort of benchmark for some young players. There's a lot less to lose playing those teams and a lot more to gain, as we've seen with these kind of super matchups early in the season. And I don't know, Matt, and you might know more about this than we do. Uh, the schedule, it's harder to schedule some of these big-time opponents because they're set up years and years in advance, and often ESPN has a hand in it, and Maryland's brand isn't quite Dukes or Michigan State. Everybody knows that already. Uh, but what, uh, is there much Mark Turgeon can do to up the scheduling? Because 
we've said I'm flashing back to my freshman year when Maryland came out of out of conference with one loss, and everybody thought, hey, this team might be really good. It turned out that they weren't because they played nobody, and that could easily be the story of this year. You know, last year they had some out of conference games that were tough, but you probably would have liked them to have more. And you know, this game's a bit. This game's obviously there too. And even two years ago, they played a tougher out of conference schedule than they played this year. Is there really much that Mark Turgeon can do to kind of fix this? Maybe it helps this year, but say for next year when this team's a bit more veteran and a bit more experienced, uh, you're going to want to play better teams than they are playing in the likes of St. Peter's and Jacksonville State. I know he coached at Jacksonville State, but bear with me. Yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know the exacts on how all those things work, but um, obviously they are they are scheduled pretty far in advance. And, you know, just the reputation Mark Turgeon's built around the program over the past couple of years is obviously going to help, um, especially scheduled games against some of those tougher opponents. And again, yeah, I mean, we've seen what Duke lost this week, and I don't think anyone is concerned that that's going to affect Duke's number one status by the end of the year. So, yeah, it'd be nice if, if Maryland got to play um, some of that type of competition. But also it's going to depend on the years. I mean, last year we would have you know, loved to see Maryland play against one of those Kentucky, Michigan State type teams. This year, if Maryland played Duke or Kentucky right now, it wouldn't end well. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to depend on the year because Maryland's just not it, – it's established as a good – basketball program again now but when you have you know two years ago where they were kind of and turned out good and last year where they were supposed to be great this year where you know they're somewhere in the middle they're they're not a consistent top-notch team yet um but we'll see i think mark church is doing all the right things to put maryland in position to to be there in a few years okay ryan uh one of the final questions in this show we got to go with expectations now because after this win and you saw the post-game celebrations. You saw Scott Van Pelt leading his sports center with this game. Uh, the expectations after you beat Georgetown the way that Maryland did are going to be a bit higher than I think they were coming into the game, even though it's Maryland that there's high expectations all the time no matter what, and people are going to freak out if they lost anyway. Uh, that game doesn't really change the global expectations for the season, but does it change – the expectations for the next little bit, does it now mean that a lot of people are going to be like, okay, guys, you have to, you know, not th- not saying that this is what I think, but are there going to be some people saying, all right, you're at a conference schedule is bad. You should be going into conference play unbeaten, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there will certainly be players who say, or, you know, fans who say that, and it's understandable to think that after this game, I think just – because Maryland's out-of-conference schedule is so bad. Uh, but, yeah, I think, it. you know, after the American game, things things didn't look great. And that was only one game. And first game, you know, first career game for three freshmen, all that. Um, and, you know, this sort of – this makes the team certainly look better. But, uh, again, now it's only two games. And it's, you know, the whole small sample size warning is just like – you know, ringing in my head right now because you still don't know. But uh, yeah, I think I, I think Maryland will probably slip up once or twice in out in out of conference play, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, they're not going to lose to St. Mary's, but you know they they'll you know they're a young team. They'll have some bad nights, and that won't be the end of the world. Uh, people will certainly think it's the end of the world, and it won't be. Um, but yeah, I think we all we 
always figured, even after Maryland, you know, didn't look that great against American, that this team was still going to enter conference play with a very small number of losses. And maybe after beating Georgetown, that number got a little bit smaller in our heads. I don't know. It definitely got smaller. I think it got smaller. I, I really don't. I mean, Matt, I get. I, maybe we talked about this already, but we'll, we'll certainly end it on this note. Uh, who is the most likely team to beat them? Is it Pitt? Because I, I don't know. They're coached now by Kevin Stallings, who was always a perennial bit of an underachiever at Vandy, and it's Pitt. So there's a, a weird dynamic there. That there's Oklahoma State, but both of those games are at home, and Maryland's lost what two games at home the last two years? Obviously, very different teams, but. They're, they've been pretty much unbeatable at the Xfinity Center. So who is the team that's most likely to beat them? Yeah, I guess it might be Pitt. It, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, this team is very vulnerable to a loss just because, um, obviously, the emphasis on, on freshman play, uh, and eventually, you know, they aren't going to play so well. And, and, you know, Maryland could be a team that loses to one of those where you're like, holy crap, you know, like UConn lost to Wagner. Like, that could happen <laughs> You know, like you that could happen. And Northeastern. And Northeastern. Uh, yeah, I mean, that could very well ha- happen to Maryland, too. Um, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly what, but I, it would be. I wouldn't expect them to come out of non conference play without a loss. I think that'd be a little unfair to, to expect. But I can say that they're probably going to go back into the top 25 after this week. So that's barring, exciting. At least. Barring not losing to St. Mary's for Towson. Uh, I'm gonna say that St. Mary's and Towson aren't the aren't the losses, but you know what? Who the hell knows? Uh, okay. I, I, I guess for me, uh, I'm already looking forward to some of the games in conference play. Now, obviously, big teams are gonna bully them the heck out of out of the gym, but against teams that are smaller, Indiana, uh, that those games are gonna be fun. But that was yeah, Mar- Maryland Indiana is gonna be fun. Oh my God, it's gonna end. It's gonna end 100 to 90 in in 10 min- in 40 minutes. It's gonna be awesome. Does Maryland play Indiana twice this season? I uh, only play them once, but it's at Xfinity Center. So that game is January 10th, folks. Mark your calendars. That's going to be one of the most fun games of the year. Anyway, uh, do want to mention men's soccer, again, unbeaten. Very rare that this happens in any level of soccer. They're the number one overall seed in the tournament. I believe they play Sunday. It's Sunday, game. yes, they play. Ooh, you know what? No, we should. We got to look this up right now. I think it's uh, Delaware Towson, if I'm correct. The that uh, right. the game, I know. Yeah, they it's get a first way. round bye. Uh, ready for this? We're gonna we're gonna tell you right now. Yeah, we're, because we're... it is loading, and they play the winner of Providence and Delaware. Providence and Delaware. So I got one of them right. Okay, close enough. I'm proud of myself, at least, for that. So you should definitely go to that. That's on Sunday afternoon. Uh, yeah. There's no reason why you shouldn't because they're unbeaten. And I, I don't – well, I guess we're going to find out if a college team has ever gone unbeaten in an entire season. But, uh, yeah, you should definitely go watch them play. And also the women have started playing as well, and they've won by a bajillion. But we'll have Thomas on to talk about the women at some point in the, in the future. That's his – that's his area of expertise, and we'll definitely have something on that. So thank you to Ryan and Matt for doing this show and getting us even more excited about that win over Georgetown than we already were. Uh, the final word I think we should say, I bet we all agree on this, is those teams need to play every year. There's no reason. There are oh, egos yeah. why, they, why they might not, but there's no reason logistically or logically why they shouldn't. 
Ken, I can say at the very end of the game when, uh, you know, during the Maryland comeback, I was, you know, I was in between Georgetown and Maryland fans in my, my weird press area. And, you know, to the left of me, I had Georgetown fans just like screaming at the top of their lungs. And to my right, I had Maryland fans screaming. And it was it was really loud. Like it was, you know, it's a big stadium. It's a big arena. And it was an uh, arena that was really empty. A lot of that could be the 6.30 start, and that's FS1's thing. But, you know, that, I mean, again, last year at Xfinity Center, crazy great atmosphere for that. I will game. say, Georgetown's got to pack that place up better, though. I yeah, mean, it was. That place wasn't, that place wasn't sold out, and, and Xfinity for sure was last year. Yeah, and, I mean, there were there were a lot of Maryland fans there tonight, last night. Yeah, Georgetown's got to do a better job. Well, again, I, I like to consider that game, the Georgetown game, as a warm-up for when Maryland wins the Big Ten tournament at that building in March. Yeah. Okay, they might sure. not, but those will essentially, again, they'll all be basically, they're neutral site games in practice, but in reality, they are home games for Maryland. Will be cool. It will, however, be right at the end of spring break, so it'll be interesting, how, or right at the beginning of spring break, so it'll be interesting to see yeah, how. Yeah, there will still be a ton, of, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a ton of Maryland alums that already live in the area and will go regardless. So You are absolutely right. Yeah, so again, Georgetown, pack your building better. Kevin Anderson, make it happen that Maryland and Georgetown play every year because that, that just means, again, we talk about scheduling great early in the season. There's always something to look forward to at the start of every season if Maryland and Georgetown play. If they alternated between Xfinity Center and Verizon, even if they played it at Verizon Center all the time, I don't think Maryland fans would care that much because they'd still go. But anyway, thank you both for uh, joining us, uh, Matt and, and Ryan. Enjoy the basketball this weekend, of course, and I know you're both going to be going to both games. Yep, we'll be there. Oh, yeah. uh, it will be a lot better. And if you are going to watch the football game, uh, prepare the paper bag before you do so. Uh, but we will definitely talk a lot more in depth about football next week because a the basketball isn't going to be as important, and b it's going to be a much bigger game for the for the program against Rutgers. So we will talk to you about that then. Until then, though, of course, go Terps. See ya.